Before I begin, I'd just like to say a word. Um, I said this earlier in the service. I tell you, I, I, I learned this early on at Centenary. When you have uh, Jill as your children's uh, director, people then tend to listen to her more than they do the pastor, at least when I was here. And uh, so we decided instead of uh, taking up the offering after she spoke, we took it up before we spoke because of all the people left after she spoke. But be that as it may, anyway, I appreciate what she did with the Ephesians passage, and that is so very good. Also, I just had cataract surgery. I cannot see very well. And the prescriptions that I have uh, are now outdated, and they don't work. And so I've had to enlarge my print. This morning I got up and tried to write it out. I have it all typed. And I can't even read it, so I, but you're going to have to bear with me, and I thank you for that. And then finally, I want to say uh, to, to your pastor, to the pastoral staff, to all of you who have known me for many, many years, and those who have gotten acquainted with us and still know us and love us too, we greatly appreciate being here. This is our church. That's God's church but we all claim this is maybe our church home. And it is, and it will be always be for us. Even though this is our last Sunday in Danville for, um, for a while, we will be returning on a fairly regular basis, but I'll be sitting more in the back, keeping quiet, not complaining about the sermon or anything else, and just learning the best I can from what I'm being taught and in, in, in learning what I am learning in worship as well. So I thank all of you, and especially your pastor, Chris, um, just a remarkable preacher and a very capable pastor. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire that refines, as the water that cleanses, as the wind that refreshes. Convict, convert, and consecrate us all for the sake of your kingdom. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was interesting to be at Centenary uh, for uh, a seven-year period and then be away for eight years and then return for nine years. Um, There's a reason I just love Centenary. Several reasons, in fact. You love God in Christ. You love each other. You minister to others. And your mission is worldwide. I've often said that the health of a church is determined by its missions to others. And I find that uh, that is so true. I remember when I moved to, I probably shouldn't say the name, Middletown United Methodist Church in Louisville. They did not have a volunteer mission team. And so I decided that as a pastor that I need to encourage them to have a volunteer mission team. And sure enough, I did. But I had a complaint from a member of the church who was so upset with me for doing that. And he says, you're just trying to make Middletown Danville. I said, well, uh, but anyway, no, I was not trying to make it down. I'm trying to get that. I was trying to get that church into the mission area that it had not had in a long time. But missions, missions. And I love this church for its missions. 
I took a look at the book of Revelation again in my preparation for this, and though I did not read any of the, the passages from Revelation, as you know, the book of Revelation deals with seven churches, and they have characteristics, some, some good, a lot of bad, of what the churches are like. And I want, you to, I want to highlight what I've picked out of that in my way of thinking that makes you such a remarkable church. Centenary is a loyal church. You have been faithful to God's calling. You have followed his word. You have met the challenges that have been set before us. And we've had our challenges in years past. We wouldn't be here today if we had not met those challenges, but I am so thankful that you did. You're loyal. Now, I hesitate to use the next word because I think we could misconstrue it. But we are a rich church. But I'm not talking about money, folks. I'm telling you, we're rich in people. We are rich in people. And you're rich in your staff. You've got a wonderful staff here. Wonderful pastors. Ministry takes place because of wonderful staff and people who are willing to volunteer their time and sacrifice their time. That's what makes it wealthy. We are a church that has done a great deal. We, you know, when I think about it, I think of um, how we... For example, it would take a little bit of history for some of you. When we were determining how we could do ministry downtown and we found out that there were some things that we could not do that we needed to do, this church made the decision to move from downtown campus. A very difficult, difficult choice, but a choice that we made. I remember the time that we took the light from the downtown campus and we carried the light all the way from downtown campus all the way to this new sanctuary. A remarkable time when a host of our congregation walked that path all the way here. You might ask me, do I miss the downtown campus? I always miss the downtown campus. But we are in the process of ministry. And we need to do ministry as God has called us to do. And that was a tough decision, not because it was tough because God called us, just because we were so tied to a, to a very historic building. We have risen to meet the, the needs of others. And I've seen in this church people rising to meet the needs of others at the expense of their own. You have given more than you had, but you did it anyway because you love the people we serve. It is a remarkable part of missions in this church. How we serve others is phenomenal. I think back in our history, when, when we were downtown that at the Civil War, we became a hospital for soldiers. I think about when I was here, nothing like the Civil War, but we had an ice storm that shut down electricity everywhere. The grid went off. But the only church that was open, that could be open, because the electricity did not affect this church, was this church. And when we found out that people at Arnold Towers had no place to go. What happened? This church rose to the occasion. We were here before the Red Cross. We were here ready to help. Doctors in this church took over our offices so that they could be here 24 hours a day helping people who were away from their own home, their own residence, to care for them. If I remember, we fed a lot of the people who came from all over our country People who came in working with the companies like RACC and KU, 
And we fed over 3,000 meals. 3,000 meals. How did that happen? Folks, do not take this church for granted. The very fact that we are here is a gift to God. The very fact that you are here, you are a gift to God to this church. And because you're here and because this church is here, we are able to do things for others because he has blessed us. Oh, folks, I look at at churches all around the country, but the thing that I admire about this church is because we are God's people and we know it. And we live it not for ourselves, but for others. You have not abandoned your first love. Oh, yes, we love to come here. This is a great church, great fellowship. We like the way it works. We worship here. We like the way we worship at eight, excuse me, at nine o'clock. We, 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 we love these things. We can love them, but we don't worship them. Our first love is God, and it must always stay that way. You have persevered in the midst of a culture that is trying to crack the very foundation on which we stand. I, read, I came across this, and I, I cut this out in large print so I could read it from the message. From, the second, from 2 Timothy, the third chapter, there is nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are, are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. The concern, when we think about the new campus that came, there was a new campus of another denomination that, that came when I was here, and there was a kind of panic, a really kind of panic. What are we going to do, Quentin? What are we going to do? They're going to take our youth, and they're going to take our children. they got such a big program, and they're subsidized by this big church in Lexington. What are we going to do? And of course, it, it, when people get concerned, I get concerned, but I got concerned with their concern because I think the thing we needed to remember was who we are. We're not in competition with other churches, other denominations, but we must remain who centenary is, who God created us to be with her people and with our theology and our doctrine so that we can serve the people the best way that we know how through God. God called us to be. We have and will be what God has called us to be. With all that being said, we need to be reminded as we examine ourselves of who we are to God. And this is the crux of my sermon. I wanted to be very positive because I am positive about centenary. Always positive about centenary. There's no reason not to be. But sometimes we lose sight of who we are called to be. As a part of the church universal, you are the Israel of God. You are God's new people. Look at what he has done to make us his own. He sought us. He bought us. He calls us to come to him and to be a part of his ministry to others. He challenges us to fulfill the purposes he intends for us to have. I remember part of it, when people bite at the bullet to serve, it's really something. 
And when, right before I left the, 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 left for Middletown from the downtown campus, this man, man that I love dearly, Tom Carter, big man, low voice. It was great because when he sang in the choir, he, there was only maybe one bass, but he sounded like five basses. It was really very good. But Tom comes to me right before I left for Middletown. He says, Clinton, when are you going to use Randall, my son? And I said, well, God will find a place and God will use him. I'm going to Middletown and all that. And then he just kind of, when, when I returned and this church decided that they needed to build a new campus, his prayer, my prayer was answered. Randall became the head of our building committee. And I see that all the way through this church. And I look at people that in volunteer missions and how they go out and help people on their own, but they do it in the name of God through this church. It is a remarkable thing. We're not only that, we are a family of God. Paul in 1 Timothy calls us the household of God. Beck and I have a new residence in North Carolina. We're going to be two minutes from our son, Adam, and we get to see two of his three children basically finish high school, which we have not had the privilege of being around grandkids any at all, really, uh, except for vacations. But I realize that our home is not a residence. It's not a house. Our home is going to be where Becky and I and God are. This is a church building, a beautiful, wonderful church building, and a lot of us would never even think about ever leaving it, but this is not, this is a residence, but it's really more a family. You and me, your pastors, your staff. And it's remarkable to see this family grow. I have a privilege that a lot of pastors do not have. Most pastors don't have it. I grew up in this church. I've pastored this church twice. And by golly, I have been able to see kids baptized, confirmed, and married in my lifetime right in this church. All because this church embraced them and loved them and taught them and allowed them to worship. Do you know how wonderful that is? Do you know how wonderful God is to you and to me? Don't ever forget that. Never, ever forget that. I think of family, and I think, of course, of Chris and Melinda, and I know they don't like attention drawn to them, and so I won't do any more than that, but you know the, the story. He preaches great sermons, but it's the sermon how he and Melinda are living out their life is maybe the greatest sermon he will preach. We're not only that, we are not only a family of God, and, the, you know, we're, we're also the holy temple of God. What makes this holy temple is, is his presence. This church, this temple, is not holy because you're here. It's not holy because I'm here. It's because God's spirit is here. His spirit is here. And when I hear Stan play the organ, and, and when I hear Heidi just lead the music and sing... I mean, they evoke the Holy Spirit's presence to come in, and it comes in like a wave to me. 
because here we meet the Spirit. We meet the Spirit. When I was uh, first in India, I went to the church of the Good Shepherd, and it was uh, about four hours away from Hyderabad, and we traveled and traveled and traveled, and four hours from, from Hyderabad would be, if you had our roads, maybe 30 minutes, but their roads are terrible. And we went to the worst slums I could have ever possibly imagined in my first trip. And as we approached the church, because we didn't have air conditioning and a 105-degree temperature, I mean, I started smelling. I mean, it was terrible. And we got to the church, and you see dead animals on the road. You smell human waste. And you smell trash that has just been piled up and piled up and piled up close to this church. But I go into this church to preach. And for some reason, there was a different smell, though the windows were open and they were there with a difference of smell. And I kind of attributed it to what I call maybe the Rose of Sharon, but there was a presence of Christ that did away with that smell. And they worshiped. These poor slum dwellers worshiped. And in our culture, we find excuses for not worship because we don't have anything or we don't have what God wants to, we want God to give us. But I'm telling you there, that's all they have, that's all they know is God and they come and it's God who gives them hope. God who gives them hope. And we finished worshiping and they started to sing and they got up and I, I noticed this time there was a young lady, a teenager, young teenager. She was kind of in the back. She was crippled. And she would take her right hand and she would put, she would, she would put her hand behind her knee and carry that leg forward and then drag her other leg. Remarkable. Just remarkable. And she walked to church crippled. Because she had the greatest gift of all. Jesus. Jesus. You have the greatest gift of all. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, hold on to that. As a part of God's universal church, we are also the body of Christ. I believe that we are the full expression as best as we can be of the body of Christ on earth. How others see us is how they will perceive Jesus. How do you act in public? How do you act in private? What comes out of your mouth? These kinds of things are very important because when we become a part of the body of Christ, we represent Christ on this earth. And then... Another illustration or example of what we are to God, we are the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. We are being set apart for God's work. We work together. And I look out at you, and you, you all are, all of you are unique. All of you have different quirks and twists and turns in your lives. I have you look at me. I've got a bunch of them, you know. But isn't it interesting that in all this time, we've worked together, even in the midst of differences, we, rise our, we raise above that which would divide us to be, a, be united as one body. Jill said it, 
One. One is a great word. It is a great word. When you became a part of this church, you took a vow. Basically, a vow of allegiance to God. And you promised to follow his word and his word alone as we live our lives together. Now, I don't mean to sound too political here, but let me say, people say we might not be on the right side of history. We're not. We are on God's side of history. That's where we always want to be, on God's side of history. We want to be a part of our country's history. We want to be a part of other people's lives, Christian and non-Christian. We want to serve as best we can and help others who might not have any relationship to us. But we do it not because our culture demands it, but because God expects it of his, of his body, of his family, of his bride. I think about, I try to make a microcosm. That's the way I like to look at it. What they're doing in the world and in our culture, how would that apply if you did the same thing in your life? And so I look at the vows I've taken in the church compared to the vows that I made when I married Becky. When I think about it, you know, I, went, I dated Becky for seven years, heaven forbid, but seven years, she played, no, 10 years, sorry, honey, uh, 10 years before we married I don't encourage that at all. I don't encourage that at all. But finally, because she played hard to get for 10 years, basically. Well, let's say nine and a half. But anyway, we married, and I thought, boy, this is going to be the end of all which there is nothing better. This is going to be bliss. It's going to be romantic. Until I brought home a bunch of flowers, and I said, Becky, here are your flowers. She's asked me, how much do they cost? And then she says, Quentin, they're going to wilt and die romanticism went out the window from there on. We are different. We are so different. Fortunately, we love the same God, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. We love worshiping together, and that is what kept us together. And when I struggle with my own attitude about things, it was this church, special people in this church, to help me to maintain the integrity of what marriage is all about. Folks, it's so good to be a part of Centenary. Very special people. But let me say another thing. This church was here early on in my life. Like I said, I had the privilege of growing up in this church. And I'm crossing over some years, but let me just say this. When I, was, when I had polio, it was a secular world that knew nothing about my polio, but the church did. And the church prayed for me. When uh, Randy, Suzanne, and I, uh, early in our life, our parents were, were struggling. We're struggling. They separated divorced, and this is not a sad, it is sad, but it's not a sad story in the end. My father took his own life, and there were times that we did not know, at least from my perspective, we did not know where our second meal was going from. We knew where the next meal was going to come from, but not the one afterwards. 
But let me tell you about this church. There was always food in our kitchen. There was always clothes to wear because somebody else could put clothes on us that mom could not afford. I don't want to hit on the Carters too much, but I I played football as best I could. It was never very good, as Mike Leake would remember. I sat on the bench more than I did anything. But I go to practice. And I come home from practice after school and practice, and there would be Julie Alice. It's almost like she timed it, Julie Alice Carter. And like she timed it, and there she would to pick me up to take me home. The church, the church, you, This is not a social activity. This is the body of Christ. And we're married to Christ. Live out those vows that you have taken in all that you do. We do not judge our church by size or by attendance. Oh, we take those numbers down because we want to know what's happening to people and we want to find out what's happening to people. But we come to church because we're a part of the people of God. We want to worship him and encourage one another. When uh, John F. Kennedy was uh, shot, I guess that's the first time that I started to really realize that the world was not going to be doing well. I was in high school. I was a freshman at Danville High School. And there were some people, of course, they were screaming and yelling in grief and terror. They were afraid. There were other people who were so mean and crass. I mean, it was terrible. It was just terrible. I didn't know what to do. And as I decided not to take the bus home, not to go to practice that day, I walked down from the old Danville High School where the Norton Center is now. I walked down from the Danville High School to Centenary downtown campus. I had to meet God. And I knew where to meet him. I met him where the people gathered together to pray. Parenthetically, I would like to add that I hope we're praying for our country every day. You pray for our country when we're here. You pray for our country when we're away from here. But you pray to God. A young woman, a young married woman, lovely lady, she, she told me what happened because I had, she was pregnant and, and she and her husband were very excited about this baby. She went to have a sonogram. I guess that's what it is, anyway. And uh, the technician became very quiet and then called in the doctor. And the doctor had to tell her that her baby had died in the womb. Can you imagine for your first child, you got so excited, so excited about having it? an expression of your love for each other as husband and wife, an expression of thanks to God for the gift of life. 
some people would just get upset with God and leave, quit. She anguished. She didn't know what to do. She was so depressed. But Friday came, and someone asked her if she would go to church. She says, no, I don't think I'm going to go to church. But by Sunday morning, she knew, I need to be someplace else that was not within herself. And so she, I guess you would say, kind of forced herself to come to church. She walked in depressed, saddened, angry. But she heard the music. She listened to the prayers, and those prayers became her own. And the people who knew about this gathered around her and supported her and cared for her. And though she did not have a new baby in her life, she had a new life in God, a new birth in God because of the church. That's why it's so sad for me to leave. I'll find another church, and I'll create as much trouble in another church as I did here, so don't worry about it. But thank you for loving me, Becky, Jenny, and Adam. Thank you for loving me when I was a kid and loving me as I grew up. Thank you for loving me even when I was hard to tolerate as your pastor. And you were able to do all that, not because of me, but because of God. Thanks be to God.